Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. headlines this morning on this 28th day of September. I guess I should just lead off by saying good morning, good morning. Welcome to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. Um, these are death sentences that I just read yesterday and I um, death sentences means one particular thing in the culture but I want you to think of each and every one of these as death sentences today. Funeral services were held yesterday afternoon for Gabby Petito even as the search for Brian Laundrie continues. Um, investigators arrived last night at the scene of Sunday's deadly Amtrak derailment in Montana, killed three people. One of those people was a Cedarville grad, so that filled my Twitter feed last night. Seven others have been hospitalized. In San Diego, um, a mother and her two-year-old son died on Saturday after falling from the upper deck at Petco Park before the Padres baseball game. On Friday, in the state of Washington, a school bus driver was fatally stabbed in front of students after picking them up from their elementary school. A study published uh, just today by, Ox- I guess maybe yesterday now, because I put this together then, by Oxford University saw that life expectancy of American men decreased by two years during the pandemic. And in 2020, the U.S. experienced the biggest rise in murder since the start of national record-keeping in 1960. Um, Finally, this dire warning yesterday from the DEA, the, um, uh, yeah, what's the DEA, Paul? Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA. On Monday, a growing number of fake pills bought online are laced with potentially lethal amounts of a synthetic opioid called fentanyl. DEA Administrator Ann Milgram said in an interview with The Washington Post, quote, we decided to do this because the amounts are staggering. We are in the midst, in my view, of an overdose crisis, and these counterfeit pills are driving much of it. Uh, The United States saw a record number of drug overdose deaths last year, more than 93,000, an increase of almost 30 percent from 2019. And then, of course, there are the deaths related to COVID directly. Um, What do all these stories have in common? Mortality. (laughs) They have mortality. Uh, Maybe that is obvious to Christians. But somehow it's weirdly not obvious to others. So let's be the John 1010 people today as we live, live, really live, live abundantly, not only in the face of death, but in the midst of a culture of death and in the midst of, strangely, a people in denial about its reality. So use these headlines today to press in, in into conversations um, about our mortality 
and just how near it is all the time, even in, you know, even in places like a bus or a train or a ballpark. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We're going to talk with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian, um, Christian Medical and Dental Association next. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Great to be with you. So I shared with you um, a long listener response that I received um, from a person objecting to the vaccine, and I would love to just walk around with you in the hesitancy that people have related to the COVID-19 vaccine. So I'm going to actually let you lead us into this conversation about the ethics of the SARS COVID-2 vaccine. Well, Carmen, I'm glad to do that because we're also getting many similar letters from our membership here at CMDA. And I, I guess I saw one quote in this letter, and I'll start with that. And the person writing says, it is inconsistent to argue that it is immoral to intentionally kill innocent preborn babies and at the same time be willing to accept benefits from such killing. And I guess I, I want to point out a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I would say that all of us as Christians get a deep emotional response of disgust at the at the fact that these vaccines do have this remote connection with abortion. I, I, I'm pro-life. I've been involved in various ways in the pro-life movement over the last 40, 50 years. And, and I'm, I'm as disgusted as anybody else about this. But, but that sentence kind of implies that there's a direct connection, that if we take the vaccine, we are morally complicit with the evil of the abortion itself. And that is not true. In fact, Christian ethicists have developed a whole philosophy around the whole concept of the ethical question, when do we become morally complicit with evil? And there are actually three conditions that need to be met in order to avoid that complicity with evil. And fortunately, the vaccines meet all three of those. The first is that there must absolutely be no connection between the original evil and the good that comes out of it. In other words, in the example with the vaccines, there should be no evidence of any connection that the woman who had the original abortion had it in order to develop the fetal cell line. If that were the case, anybody who used that fetal cell line would be complicit with the original evil. But we know that's not the case because of testimony given to the FDA by the original researcher who collected the tissue. In fact, he did not know why the woman had the abortion. She was having the abortion no matter what. It was a a decision completely separate from the collection of the fetal tissue. And so 
we have good, solid evidence that this was done completely separate. And, and I would probably give an example that I often use with our members to help people understand this and a little bit more modern example. And, and I would just say, imagine that you know of a woman who brings in a six month old child into the emergency department and with trauma. And the story comes out that this child was horribly beaten by the mother's boyfriend. Now, on examination, there are multiple skull fractures found and eventually you realize that this child is brain dead. And nobody is going to argue the horrific evil of that abuse. But also imagine that in that same hospital, there is a six-month-old child that was born with a cardiac defect and is awaiting a cardiac transplant. Is it okay to take the heart from that abused and now clinically dead baby and put it in the heart, put it in the chest of the baby at the hospital? I think the vast majority of your listeners would say, yes, absolutely. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, when you look closely at that scenario, it's actually very similar to what we're talking about with the vaccines and the use of fetal tissue. So the first requirement is that there must be complete separation between the evil and the good that comes out. And we have that. Secondly, we have to make sure that we do not incentivize pharmaceutical companies or the government to utilize this, this technology, fetal cell lines, in forming new or getting new abortions in the future. We do not, as Christians, want to get these pharmaceutical companies saying, oh, wow, this, all these people have taken this vaccine. We ought to continue to use these fetal cell lines. No, we want to make sure that doesn't happen. So what we've done at CMDA is we have written multiple letters to government officials, to the the leaders of these pharmaceutical companies, making them very aware that though we are accepting these vaccines, we are adamantly opposed to future research and their use in the development of future vaccines. There are ethical alternatives. And so one thing that your listeners can do if they're feeling uncomfortable about this is to write letters themselves. The more letters that these pharmaceutical CEOs get and the government officials get, the more likely they are to recognize our problem with them. And that's the second uh, condition. The third condition is that there must be a clear and evident good that comes out of the use of the evil. And again, we have that with the vaccines. We know that they are very effective in preventing hospitalization as well as death, and that is a clear good for us. So with that, we've met the three conditions to avoid complicity with evil, and I believe that we as Christians can safely and comfortably use these vaccines. All right, we're talking with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association um, about vaccines and the hesitancy that many of you have um, related to them. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. When All right, my conversation with Dr. Jeff Barrows is in large measure in response to uh, an email from listener Kathy. Um, it's it's long. She um, she absolutely lays out the and articulates very very well her concerns related to um, the vaccine and why she um, has uh, a moral concern related to it. She couches it, Jeff, in um, 
asserting that this is her religious, the basis of a religious exemption. Can we talk about what you are seeing um, in terms of legitimate religious exemptions related to the vaccine? Where are you seeing those being accepted and actually working? Like, what does one have to say in order to have a religious exemption stick? Yes, we've had several of our members, Carmen, who have contacted us asking advice on how to get a religious exemption. And I I typically, by the way, I've written an article on our website at cmda.org that kind of lays out all of these things that I mentioned in the earlier segment. But I, I, I bring up to them this article that, that lays out a good argument for getting the vaccines. But ultimately, I do believe that it is up to the individual. We each stand before the Lord as individuals. And so our advice is that they, if they do feel that they need to apply for a religious exemption, that they talk with their pastor and they get a letter from their pastor uh, who knows them and can speak to their level of involvement in the church uh, and and address it then to the employer. Having said that, I know of no employer to date who has accepted uh, a religious exemption. And uh, we have had several members that have been in contact with us, gone through that process, and then it has been turned down. So there's a lot of variation in terms of what the employment situation is and where we stand in terms of the mandate. But Overall, I, I think that your listeners, if they're hoping they're going to get a religious mandate, uh, I think that it's, on on the average, going to be unlikely. Um, can we have a, a, a conversation about um, playing God? Because hmm. that, is, uh, that is one of the concerns being raised on the text line um, in relationship to let's say using the, uh, you know, the analogy related to transplantation. Um, And I guess I'm pressed here to, um, on the playing God conversation, like I would, I would say in relationship to um, this overall conversation, um, you know, if a person is raped and that rape produces a child, that child is conceived in the most awful of circumstances. And yet I am, as a pro-life person, going to argue for that, the validity of that life. And, mm-hmm. the, um, and yet it's really hard for me to imagine that I'm going to tell a woman who has been raped that she has to have that baby. Um, this is the level of, of conversation and the challenge that we face um, in terms of these conversations today, because that that is an evil, an evil absolutely done. And yet what is produced through it is an undeniable human life and undeniably a life created in the image of God and therefore a life for which I would then fight for its right. And so when people say this is playing God to use what one person meant for evil and to use it for good or and we're talking generations here these these fetal lines these fetal cell lines that are used for the production of these vaccines are not from abortions that have happened in recent history um and so i think that there's a distance from 
the occurrence as well. And I'm not arguing that that is reason to feel okay about it. I'm just making sure people know that as we're having this conversation. Um, how do you ha- how do you even reply to a person who says, "Well, you're just talking about playing God," and I don't believe that people should play God, and therefore, you know, I'm not going to listen to the rest of what you're saying. Like, I'm I'm challenged by that. Yes, and and it's it's part of the whole issue of autonomy that has risen to such a high level level in our culture that autonomy is valued over everything else. And by autonomy, I mean that the person has a right to make a choice. And what I would say to that person is that that I view the universe, the cosmos, that we are created beings, and we are therefore responsible to that creator. And by by arguing for the validity of the life of that unborn child, you're not playing God. You are simply conversing with the person and conveying the fact that that life matters in the eyes of God and in in our own Christian worldview. We we would be playing God if we if we tried to force the person not to have the abortion. But I think it's important for us as Christians we're called to be salt and to be light. Jesus commands that of us. And so therefore in that process we have to be make known the truth and the truth about that unborn baby as you've said. Carmen, is that that baby is created in the image of God and has inherent value that we have no capacity to really understand or conceive of. And therefore, we are called to fight for the life of that baby. Yeah, when we talk about um, the analogy here to transplantation, um, another listener is saying, okay, so... um, Maybe I think about it this way. Abortion is a part of this conversation. We are talking about the introduction of something into another human body, in this case, the vaccine that is a result of research um, based on an abortion that took place uh, decades ago. Like there there is a legitimate um, connection there if someone is looking to make one between the conversation that we had about transplantation. I just there's I'm I'm trying to help listeners make Mm -hmm. all the connections that they're making um, in real time as you and I talk. Um, uh, and another listener saying, why does the time of the abortion matter? That blows me away. Are you saying that makes it okay? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Let's go back to the first point. The woman who had the original abortion, can you remind us, uh, Dr. Barrows, how, what's the time frame we're talking about here? The, the original abortion uh, for the uh, connection with the Pfizer and the Moderna uh, vaccines was done in 1972 in the Netherlands. Uh, okay. We don't know much else about it, but that's when it was done. Okay. So, Missy, um, who's asking this question, um, in 1972, when this unknown woman in the Netherlands had the abortion, um, she had the abortion no matter what. Like, And so what we're talking about is the research that has been done since then using derivatives of the fetal tissue that was reserved following that abortion. There's there's a lot of tissue reserved after all kinds of medical um, procedures. And in this case, there was fetal tissue preserved following that abortion. That woman was going to have that abortion anyway. Um, and so the researcher who then collected the tissue has verified that its collection was completely separate from um, the woman's uh, decision to have the abortion And since then, lots of research, not just related to the development of the COVID-19 vaccine, 
but lots of research has been done using these fetal cell lines. And so um, when we talk about sincerely held religious beliefs, I can tell you the challenge is going to come to you. If you say the reason I'm not having the vaccine is because I have an issue that the fetal cell lines were used to develop the vaccines, please educate yourself on all the other things that these fetal cell lines have been used to develop because um, this is not a one-off in terms of things that we are dependent upon in uh, in the medical world today. Dr. Barrows, obviously this is something people are very interested in talking about, highly engaged on our text line right now. So mm-hmm. thank you so much um, for helping us have the conversation. We have to leave it here for today, but my guess is you and I could circle back around to this the next time we talk. Certainly. My pleasure to be with you, Carmen. Thank you so much. You guys can can read more um, at cmda.org and keep the text coming at 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Okay, um, thank you for the ongoing robust uh, conversations on the text line. You can continue to text me at 877-933-2484. I'm responding as quickly as I can to each and every one of you in real time. Um, I think that uh, it's important to recognize that for those of you who have, let's say, allergies or concerns about fertility, those are genuine uh, medical concerns. Those are medical reasons not to be vaccinated. I totally 100% get that. Yep, absolutely. Um, The conversation about religious exemptions and saying that you are not getting the vaccine for religious reasons is the conversation we're trying to have. Like, let's be equipped for that conversation. And um, and let's be sure that we're consistent so that when people ask us questions, like, right, part of the reason I do what I do and the way and, and the reason I do it the way I do it is to get each and every one of us thinking if I were actually in a conversation about this. What might that conversation look like? What might the pushback be? Um, So, you know, just recognize that's part of what I'm doing here. All right. I'm trying to provoke us to think more deeply about the things that are the conversations that we're actually not having, but we need to be having with one another. So there you go. Um, All right. uh, Next up. Justin Holcomb is going to join me. You you probably remember Justin from some conversations that we've had in the past about abuse and abuse in the church and theology related to abuse in the church. He's coming today to share a brand new children's book in the children's series, um, God Made Me. Today's book is God Made Me in His Image. Get ready to, uh, to really enjoy this next conversation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Jesus' love does not depend upon what we do for him. Not at all. In the eyes of the king, you have value simply because you are. You don't have to look nice or perform well. Your value is inborn, period. Think about that for just a minute. You're valuable just because you exist. Not because of what you've done, but simply because you are. Remember that the next time you are left bobbing in the wake of someone's steamboat ambition or some trickster tries to hang a bargain basement price tag on your self-worth, remember that the next time someone tries to pass you off as a cheap buy. Just think about the way Jesus honors you and smile. I do because I know I don't deserve a love like that. None of us do. This is Max Lucado. 
right. Again, um, thank you for your robust engagement on the text line. Some of these I'm going to have to answer after the show. Um, so many of you uh, texting in, so just trust that I will get that done. Joining us right now, Justin Holcomb. He's an award-winning author, a seminary professor, an Episcopal priest, a husband, a dad. He's written and edited more than 20 books on abuse, theology, and biblical studies. Today he joins us to discuss a children's book that he has co-authored with his wife, Lindsay. Justin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It is great to be back, and I'm grateful for a chance to talk about this important issue. Absolutely. So um, God knit us together in our mother's wombs. That is uh, certainly on theme for what we're talking about today. Tell us about the why, your why, behind God made me in his image. Well, God made me in his image is a children's book. So it's not a book. It's not a parenting book directly. Um, It's a tool for parenting. So this is a children's book with images about body image. The subtitle says it all, Helping Children Appreciate Their Bodies. And the reason that we are doing that is because this is a significant issue for so many children. Now, let me give you some statistics just to kind of point out the why. Uh, By the age of 10, so 10, my daughter is turning 11 tomorrow. So at the age of 10, I have 10 and 12-year-old daughters. By the age of 10, one-third of girls and one-quarter percent of boys, or one-quarter, 25% of boys, say that how their body looks is their number one worry. So we have a bunch of 10-year-old children worried about how they look, and they got that from their parents, from their culture, and from themselves. 80% of 10-year-old girls have dieted, and by the age of by the age of nine, half of all girls have dieted. So we have a problem of young young ladies and young boys, young men, who are walking around insecure and worried that they don't measure up, that they're that they're worth is, that they're not worth very much. I was just listening to that uh, that some of the stuff that you were saying before I was here, the the, the Max Lucado piece and the songs that are playing, like. They, that's not the main thing that they're actually thinking about themselves. And that's something that we can actually, as parents and caregivers, that's something we can actually address. It is something that we can address. And kids have so many um, influences bearing in upon them all the time. It's not as if we get to raise them in utter isolation um, from any exterior influences. And so when we think about what the culture is telling us about image and our image, a culture where, you know, image is everything. Um, But what that means in the world is not what it means when we talk about being people who bear the image of God, people created in the image of God. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God beyond surface appearance? Yeah, and and you nailed it. In in a world that's hyper-social media-focused, we're all putting our best foot forward. I look at my own my own threads and channels, and I'm thinking, well, I mean, that's that's half the story. Uh, what they don't see is the other half, where I'm apologizing to my wife and children for being, you know, short tempered and cranky and all the other stuff. We always put our best foot forward. We're always doing that. But uh, the the response to that is true image bearing, uh, not image maintenance. And to be the image of God, obviously we're getting that straight from Genesis 1, where God says, we made, you know, I made all these other things and they're good, 
day one, two, three, four, and five, those things are good. But I made humans, and humans are good, good. In the Hebrew, it's tov, tov. It's a way of accentuating humans are the crown jewel of creation because they image God, which means that in some way, we reflect God. We reflect God's character. We're like God. Uh, again, so the purpose of saying that is to increase our dignity. It's not to say that we're divine. Um, only God is divine. Only God is the ultimate and true. But we we reflect the creator of the entire universe. And there's a lot of dignity built into that. Um, that, that passage, Genesis 1, was, I mean, think of who the original audience was. The original audience would have been a bunch of Israelites who were just freed from slavery from Egypt, where they were demeaned. They were told that they were worthless servants. And for Moses to write Genesis and say, you are the image of God would have been shocking to them. The language of image actually comes from, in that time, a king or a pharaoh would set up images of himself in his land and to, to show everyone, I am in charge of this. Even if I'm personally not there, my images are there, and those images reflect me. If you demean my image, you're demeaning me. And so for God to use that image about us, he is the true king, and we're like statues of the true king. And to demean us is like demeaning God. This is why Zechariah uh, uh, says, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. Whoever harmfully touches you, it's like they're sticking their finger in my eye. So that that's the kind of dignity and worth that we need to be telling our well ourselves, first of all, we need to believe that. So we can communicate that to the children in our lives, that they're worth way more than how they do on the court. They're worth way more than their grades. They're worth way more than what, per, so what the culture has said they're uh, worth based on their size or shape or hair color or skin color or any type of performance they can do. At the heart of who they are is a precious, important a child of God, a, a creature of God who is an image of God and reflect the king of the universe. That's where true worth is found. And we need to find creative ways to drive that point home repeatedly because the culture is saying the opposite on such a regular basis. All right, we're talking with Justin Holcomb. We're talking about his brand new children's book, co-authored with his wife, Lindsay. The book is God Made Me in His Image. Trust me when I tell you, every parent and grandparent would be blessed to have this in uh, your reading library for your kids and grandkids. And we're giving away copies today. So if you'd like to enter the drawing uh, for one of the copies we have in studio of God Made Me in His Image, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Justin and I will be right back. Continuing our conversation with Justin Holcomb, today we're talking with him about his brand new book, God Made Me in His Image. And yep, we're giving away copies. So if you are interested in entering the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Justin, I was on your Facebook page earlier today at Justin Holcomb, and I loved um, the way that you are inviting us to to consider the um, the adjectives we use. So let's talk about 
the adjective exercise currently up on your Facebook page. Um, our girls <laughs> and our boys are beautiful, but why is it important to affirm them for attributes beyond physical beauty? Yeah, that that, that happened Sunday because it was National Daughters Day, and I was disappointed that I saw so many people just saying, oh, I'm so proud of to be the, the father or mother of such a beautiful young lady. And I saw it so much, and I see it also frequently for anniversaries or birthdays for you know husbands talking about their wives. And, and I, I, it's very important. My wife and daughters need to know that I think they're beautiful. I need to say that on a regular basis, and, and I'm not just saying it to flatter them. I actually think they are. It's, you know, it's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I married my wife is thought she was attractive and I thought she was pretty and I wanted to talk to her more. And, and my daughters are just spectacularly wonderful. But what happens when all we say is you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, we're actually prioritizing appearance over other things. And then suddenly uh, that compliment becomes a curse because that's all they're hearing. If, if all I say to my daughters is, oh, I'm so proud of you, you're so beautiful. And so I've, since they were little girls, babies, when I would talk to them, I just always said, you're beautiful, sweet, smart, and strong. Like just, and now they're not, I don't use sweet anymore. I use a little bit more mature language. I'm like, you're so kind. Oh, oh we lost him. All right. And he probably touched something on his screen and he magically disappeared. Paul will work um, very fast to get Justin Holcomb back um, online with us. In the meantime, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, Justin, you're back. Um, all right, so when we talk about words that, yeah, you're back. We talk about words that we use. We talk about being made in God's image. I love the setting of the book. Again, we're talking about God made me in his image. It's a new children's book by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. Um, it's set in the zoo. How does learning about the varieties of animals help us accept our own differences? Yes, we, we put it in a zoo safari because we wanted we know children like animals, but we wanted them to explore uh, physical characteristics about the animals that somehow reflected to what some of the children were thinking. So some of the children are having conversations about their freckles, their big ears. One little boy, Mateo, his brother called him big ears. Um, a young young girl, she doesn't like her red frizzy hair with her freckles, and one girl has a, a, a birthmark on her face. And so they're kind of reflecting in conversation with each other how they feel about themselves. And then they're encountering these animals. So there's a, there's a giraffe that is albino. It has luciism. And so it's, it's all white when its spots aren't there. There's a rhino that's missing a leg. There's an elephant with big ears. And in the safari guide, is explaining to the children how these physical characteristics are actually really important. And so suddenly you get the children reinterpreting um, the things that they thought were negative. So they're looking at how God made these animals and how the big, long neck of a giraffe is actually really important for what it can do. And the ears of the elephant give shade and, and they can actually hear things from far away. And the leopard in its spots, you know, freckles. So we're trying to get them um, thinking about these animals and those physical characteristics and how they might reply uh, to. You're watching children wrestle with not feeling very confident about themselves, seeing how God made something else and how it's actually good. And that kind of light bulb goes off 
And so they start thinking about themselves in a different light and responding to each other out of it. Instead of, instead of everyone being so focused on what they think is negative about themselves, they actually start uh, praising and encouraging the other children around them. So the goal is children like animals. It gives you a chance to look for bright colors. We actually put the, the big five, uh, the African animals, it's called the big five, that the main animals that people go to Africa to look for. And so, um, and we have the little five. So there's a little bit of fun in the book too, where you're actually looking for animals and some information about it in the back. But the big goal is to get them to see someone, see a few children change in their perspective on themselves so the parents can reinforce it. And it's also a book to parents because parents are the most powerful influence in children's lives. And if we can kind of coach parents through how to talk about themselves and how to talk about other people, that can be helpful. One of the most scary things is a statistic that says five-year-old girls whose mothers report dieting are twice as likely to diet by the age of six or seven. And so the children are watching us. And so we're hoping to give children, but also parents, language and images of how to talk about our bodies and their bodies that's actually healthy and encouraging. And is in line with scripture, too. Yeah, I just, it's really helpful. Um, we have loved it. Um, we in our family have uh, kids who have lots of physical differences. Um, my Matthew uh, has some very significant facial cranial uh, differences than than others. And he also has hands and feet that do not look like the rest of us. Um, and then I have a grandchild who has really severe eczema. And um, I'm going to tell you that, you know, as a little girl, like that's a, it, she would worry less about it if people would make less of it. And so I think that making much of who they are from the inside out as image bearers of the living God is just so significant. And this book has certainly helped us in those conversations. So you guys need to check it out. God Made Me in His Image. It is the latest book in the God Made Me series by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. You can find uh, Justin and Lindsay online. They're on all the socials. And you can uh, and you can definitely text the word book to 877-933-2484 if you want to enter the drawing for the copies of God Made Me in His Image that we have in studio today. Justin, as always, thank you so much for all that you do and for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate the time to be with you. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. Uh, again, thank you for all of the engagement today. If you did not get a reply uh, to a message that you sent me, um, I will work on that immediately after the show. Thank you for those of you uh, texting in words of encouragement. And for those of you entering the drawing for the book we're giving away today, our text line is just blowing up today, which I love to see. Um, so thank you to each and every one of you um, who's a part of this listening community, right? We do this together. This is not something that, you know, I get up and do and Paul makes happen by the pushing of buttons. We all make this happen together. So thank you so much for being uh, the community of of conversationalists, the community of believers who participate together in Mornings with Carmen. I deeply, deeply appreciate each and every one of you and the time you take to communicate back with us, um, you know, what you're hearing and what you're thinking about what you're hearing and how you're using what you're hearing to engage in the conversations of your day. So what difference does this show make to you? I'd love to hear that feedback as well. Uh, love being with you each and every morning. 
All right, as we head out into this day, let me encourage you to get into the Word of God. If you're looking for um, a way to get into the Word of God, we are reading the first uh, several chapters of the book of Daniel right now at My Faith Radio. So if you log on to MyFaithRadio.com, you're going to see the Reading the Bible Together. We are in the book of Daniel. If you click on that, um, you can start getting all of the resources related to that. It's a free Bible study guide. It's downloadable. It's awesome. You can jump in on Daniel chapter 1 with us right now. Again, that's Reading the Bible Together. We're doing the book of Daniel. We have just started. It's a free Bible study. And we're doing it together online at MyFaithRadio.com. So go check that out as well. All right, let's apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. And let's walk it out into the world that God so loves. And let's do so in ways that honor Jesus. Know that you go with the Lord's blessing upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.